Welcome to At Home with Debbie Rule, where you can freely ask questions, share stories, and learn more about how to have a happy home, family, and healthy relationships. Well, good evening and welcome to At Home with Debbie Rule. Tonight, we're going to be hearing a story from Kimberly. She's going to be sharing her story about her past child abuse that she experienced as a child from a very young age, from two years uh, on up until uh, she was a teenager. And so tonight's theme for the program is more of an adult theme. So if you have children around, it might not be the best night for them to listen to At Home with Debbie Rule. And if you're unable to listen tonight due to the fact that you have kids, you'll be able to listen tomorrow. It will be uploaded to a podcast and you'll be able to log on to knelradio.com. Go to podcast at home with Debbie Rule and you'll find it there. Um, We want to close off the month of April, which is Child Abuse Prevention and Awareness Month. The last Sunday of every April is dedicated to the faith-based community. We call it Blue Sunday, where we commit to pray for the families of abused children, for the children that are abused, and for the families that rescue them. So tonight, as we just bring a close to uh, this month, April, but we commit to every month bringing awareness to these horrific acts of child abuse. Uh, I hope that you will listen to this story intently and see what a life can become and what a life is like with a child that is experiencing trauma at home. On just about every level, she has experienced it and has come forth to share uh, her story tonight. And remember that you will be able to re-listen uh, to this on a podcast at Home with Debbie Rule. Go to knelradio.com, click on the podcast on the menu, and you'll find at Home with Debbie Rule podcast. You'll be able to listen tomorrow. It will be uploaded. So tonight... Uh, as we honor Blue Sunday, which is the last Sunday of April, committing to pray for those families and children and the families that rescue them that are impacted with child abuse. Tonight, listen with um, just a sensitive heart. You're going to hear a neighbor that says, I don't want to be part of your life. You're going to hear teachers that, uh, you know, engage in bullying. And, um, you know, these are the things that we want to bring awareness to. We need to be a part of these children's lives. We do need to make a difference, and we can. When we educate ourselves and we bring awareness to a problem that none of us want to face, but we must. We must face the fact that child abuse does happen. And so tonight, as you hear Kimberly's story, think about what you can do to make our community a better place as we bring awareness and prevention through education to child abuse. My earliest memory of abuse uh, was when I was two. Um, My mother would send me and my brother to a neighbor um, because my father worked and I don't know if she was working at this time. I think she was, but she could have also just been wanting alone time. I don't really, I don't know, but this neighbor Um, She was very nice, but her husband was not. And I don't remember too many details about him other than there were a couple times he pulled me across the room by my hair. 
away from the television because I was sitting too close or because it was a floor TV, you know, those big old 1970s televisions that, you know, sat on the floor. Um, I would be sitting on the floor with my toes uh, touching the TV and this enraged him to the point that he felt that a child of two needed to be yanked away from the television by her hair and thrown onto a couch and yelled at to stay there. And um, apparently my mother would tell me a few years later laughing that she well first she asked me if I remembered my neighbor who I'm, I'm not going to say his name and I said that I remembered something about him some things about him and she said do you remember what you told me when you were two and I said not that I'm aware of because I mean I didn't I didn't know where she was going with this and you know I was two I, I don't remember what 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 variation of things she was getting at with me saying but she had said that while she was laughing you you said to me that you didn't like going next door because the neighbor would make you go into the basement and take your clothes off and you would take pictures of you and hurt you and you said that you didn't like that and you didn't want to keep going over there and I looked at my mother horrified as she continued to laugh and I said do you believe that that happened and she said I haven't the, I haven't the slightest idea if it happened and I said well why did you keep sending me over there and she laughed and she said well because I didn't believe you and I said well whether you believed me or not, you know, why would I at two years old tell you this was happening if it wasn't? And why would you not look into this? And why would you keep sending me over there if I told you, I, to, I, I told you this was going on? And she just repeated, because I didn't believe you. And you like to make up little stories as a child, like, you still like to make up stories. You always make up stories because you you love attention. And violence to him continued to get worse and worse. Um, as we watched our mother abuse our father to the point that she was taking knives to bed. She was threatening to kill him in his sleep. She was throwing glass items at his head that would smash on the wall. She was constantly accusing him of cheating and um just just she was insane she was absolutely insane and i remember so much of my young years hiding under my our dining room table um which was like the biggest thing in the house that i can remember that i felt safe under and my brother would join me under there as well. So we were both under this table holding each other and crying as we watched our mother abuse our father. 
and our father would just, he would just be done with it. He would swear at her and he would grab his stuff and he would leave and he'd be gone for a while, but he would, he'd eventually come back and, you know, it would just start all over. Um, when I was six, my father had enough and he filed for divorce and he left. Anyway, so, um, at, you know, at six, my father left and then at seven, around seven and a half, I don't know, my mom met my would-be stepfather who was a sadistic monster, um, he was completely evil and rotten to the core. He was in the service. I don't know what branch. I, I can't remember. I know that he was a sergeant and highly respected in his line of work. He was also a drill sergeant. And he ran our house like that in many ways. Um, he took great sadistic pleasure in the pain he caused me mentally and physically. He tortured me. He, um, he made me believe every single day that he was going to poison me or kill me and that he would be able to get away with it because nobody would miss a fat, ugly, stupid little girl who meant nothing to no one. And that, uh, and that I, he would take me somewhere and he described the awful ways in which he would murder me. And, and it was always some new way. It was always creatively sadistically violent on all the ways that he would describe he was going to kill me and leave me somewhere and the look in his eye was just so chilling to it was chilling to my soul because I knew that he believed in everything that he was saying and he he truly wanted to do what he was saying and I don't know why he didn't because he had plenty of opportunity but I am grateful that he didn't but again um he took great pleasure in this and um still to this day I have I have psychological issues in relation to Things that he said to me. Um, thankfully, even though he physically abused me, uh, there was only one incident with him of sexual abuse. And that was just him poking at my, my newly growing breasts and making fun of them. He thankfully wasn't one of the several that would actually molest me um but he did beat me almost every day and he did beat me unconsciously a few times my mom she was a master at what she did 
and what she said. And to this day, the things that she said to me still stick with me. And they have shaped the way that I've grown and shaped who I have become and how I feel and think every day. And even though she's been dead for um, seven years, um, she's still very much with me every day in my head. And I don't think that I will ever truly be free of her. My stepfather worked overseas in Korea. Uh, so one summer when he was in Korea, my mom developed a relationship with a, another guy. I'm going to call him JJ. And uh, he... Um, he was sexually abusing his three daughters and probably his son. And my mother knew that he was a creep. And she, for some reason, didn't care. Um, because he bought her nice things and took her to nice restaurants and gave her the attention she was desperately craving and missing, I guess. Um, oh, and he also didn't beat her, and my stepdad did uh, also beat her. Not nearly as often as he did me or, or sometimes my brother, but... Um, yeah, so he, he was uh, abusive to her as well. JJ uh, treated her nice, I guess, and um, he was given permission to discipline me when he felt that I deserved it or when she said that I had been bad, which mostly I'm going to say and not that I actually 100% remember, because I don't, but I believe that she told him that I deserved to be punished way more than I actually ever was in trouble for, um, because I didn't misbehave in front of my mother, because I was terrified of her, and, but she would tell JJ that I was mouthy or I had done something that I hadn't done or that she thought that I needed to be taught a lesson for something or other. And she would get this evil look in her eye and this nasty smirk on her face and my blood would run cold. And he would look at me with a nasty sme sneer on his face. And he would say, basement now. And that is just something I just didn't ever want to hear from his mouth. Because in that basement, he not only beat me, 
with a belt. But he also sexually molested me. And I'm sorry, but I don't really want to go into the detail of it. But, um, it, 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 um, yeah, so, uh, when, when he was done and we went back upstairs, my mother would laugh at me and she would say, did you have a good time? And she would just laugh and he would laugh. And I would just go up to my room and I would cry until I threw up. And this happened a lot. And she decided for some reason that I needed to go live with him for two weeks that summer. So I could help him with his children. And so for two weeks. I went and lived at his house and I took care of his kids and I don't remember that two weeks very clearly because I think my mind has chosen to block out a lot of things that happened because I have no doubt whatsoever in my mind that things happened that I hope I never get to remember because I don't want to. But what I do remember is that um, nothing I did was ever good enough and I was always in trouble and he'd always find reasons to hit me or smack me around or or whatever and this one incident sticks out the most to me. I don't know why. Actually, there's two incidences that really, when I think about that time frame, these two things just really stick out. One is, um, they had a tree swing that was way out towards the end of their property that was up next to a cornfield. And I remember... I was sitting out there on the swing and I was thinking about how I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I was like nine, maybe. Maybe nine, maybe. Yeah, I, I was around nine. And uh, I was just sitting on the swing with the wind blowing my hair around and it was a really beautiful sunny summer day and the birds were chirping and it just it felt like a beautiful summer day but I or sorry it was a beautiful summer day but I didn't feel the summer day I felt that I wanted to be dead. That even though the sun was bright and shining and the birds were chirping, all I felt was, oh, and it was a very hot day, but I was cold. I was very cold. 
and everything was very dark. And even though I heard the birds chirping, they didn't sound like birds to me. They, I don't really know what they sounded like, but it was kind. Of, it wasn't a pleasant sound. It was like a, like a screeching sound of. I don't really know. I just think that my my brain took a beautiful sunny day and turned it into the night. I don't remember what happened after that. But anyway, eventually, um, I did get to go back home. And my stepdad came home from Korea not long after that. And JJ went away. Except for uh, the times that, uh... My stepdad had long retreats places, and JJ would come back, and oh, how much fun. But anyway, um, um, and, and when my stepdad came back, of course, all his, his crap came back too, and my mom's drinking was just getting worse and worse, and it was to the point that she was locking my brother and I out of the house all day long with no food and no access to a bathroom in the middle of the freaking hottest days of summer. We had no way to get a drink. I mean, we had the garden hose, I suppose. Um, we had no food. We had no toilet. We had nothing. And I remember that at the young age that I was, um, I'm sorry, I got a step ahead, uh, the JJ thing happened when I was nine, and what I'm now talking about happened when I was eight, so at eight years old, or between seven and eight, I'm sorry, I started having to mother my brother, because my mother, uh, started drinking and neglecting both of us, so I was having to make sure that my brother had food when there was food that we could eat. Because a lot of times my mother would drink the food money away and there would be no food. And we spent many, many hungry days and nights. Um, and it's just, it, it's, it's really difficult to remember all this stuff. But, um, I just remember, uh, one day in particular, I mean, our neighbor knew what was going on. They, they knew because they would see my, my brother and I locked outside trying to get in, banging on the door, mom, let us in, we've got to go to the bathroom, mom, we're hungry. Of course, she's passed out drunk, so she never hears any of it, but. And I just remember one day I, we were so desperate. We were so hungry and so hot and had to go to the bathroom so bad. And we went to our neighbor's house and I asked, I said, can we please use your bathroom and can we please have a glass of water? Because my mom has locked us out of the house again. And the neighbor just looked at me and said, don't ever come back over here again. Because I don't want to get involved in your life or your problems or whatever, something to that effect. And she slammed the door on our faces. And, and I just felt so incredibly alone 
and scared and lost and confused. And at some point, I, I remember I developed the mindset to when we had food, I would, I would sneak bits of it out to the garage and I, I snuck a blanket out there and I snuck some toys that my brother and I liked but didn't always need to play with in the house. And I found an old bucket in the garage that I turned into a toilet for us. And I snuck out a roll of toilet paper and, and I I put all these things in an area in the area in an area of the garage that my mother or stepfather at well at the time it was just my mother um but uh it, they wouldn't be found by somebody just coming through the garage and only I knew where they were so on the hot days of summer and into the cold days of winter um i made sure that i had snacks and blankets and um, we just drank out of the hose cause there, we didn't have bottles of water back then. And so, um, I, I couldn't put bottles of water in the box. So, and we didn't get pop because we weren't allowed pop. So, and even if we did, we wouldn't have had the little bottles or cans or anything. It would have been two liters. So, um, we drank from the garden hose and and whatever I was able to sneak out of the house and put in the box is what we ate. And we had a bucket to go to the bathroom and the toilet paper that I snuck out there and the toys. And we would just put the blanket down on the garage floor and we would spend the day. Um, at 10 years old, I was actually raped by a neighbor. Um this this guy boy uh, he was 15 i was 10 For some reason he wanted to be friends with my 9 year old 8 and a half 9 year old brother i don't know why but i know that my brother had started using drugs and smoking at a young age i don't know that he was doing them that young but I know by 11 and 12, he was experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Um, but I don't know of any other reason why a 15-year-old would want to hang out with a kid that young. Unless it was to try to gain access to me. I really don't know. But they had been friends so long, I guess, that... He was just over all the time, and it was just common to see him around. And I didn't think anything of it when I was I was in my room um, playing with my Barbie dolls and minding my own business and just having fun with my you know by myself. And I had, I remember I had spent the day cleaning my room before I was playing with my dolls. So I was, I was pretty, I was pretty proud of myself for what I had done in my room and how it looked. And, you know, it didn't occur to me that it was weird that this boy was all of a sudden 
standing at my door and you know when I, I don't know where my brother was I don't even know if he was home at that point I mean I, I don't know I, I don't know how he got into the house I don't know anything other than all of a sudden he was at the room at my bedroom door looking at me in a way he had never looked at me before oh actually i'm i'm skipping ahead and i'm very sorry about that but um <laughs> I, I just remembered um prior to this attack uh, I remember he had started uh, trapping me in places where he could then grope me. And um, I would always push him away and tell him no. And I would, um, you know, I, I would just, it was a confusing time for me mentally because I had hit puberty at eight so i mean i was already going through you know adolescent hormones and you know the the sexual uh, impulses that come with maturity and teenage years and even though i wasn't a teenager you know i i had hit puberty so young that i was i was experiencing you know, the same things that a teenager does, you know, with, in regards to, um, sexual curiosity. So even though I wasn't asking for or wanting any of this contact that was going on with this guy and I did push him away and I did tell him no, it also was after it had gone on for just a little bit. Because I was confused because while it, you know, was exciting in, in a weird way, it was also something I very much didn't want. So, um, and my mother, as I jump ahead, um, told me, you know, after I, I told her that he had raped me. She actually laughed at me and told me that I deserved it because I was a filthy whore and I led him on. But she didn't have any idea about the times that he would trap me in various places and grope me, molest me, whatever you want to call it. And I don't feel like I was leading him on because I made it very clear every time that I didn't want it and I would tell him no and I would push him away and I would get angry and and I would run away from him or you know whatever and it just so you know there there was a there was a bit of contact between us leading up to this but it was always unwanted and I always said no and he should have just respected that, but he didn't. So anyway, back to my, my situation now. He's in my room, and I remember looking at him, and I'm 
very, I'm so proud of what I had done in my room, but I realized that he's got a look on his face that I've never in my life seen before. And it made, again, it made my blood run cold. It, it, it filled me with fear. I knew that I was in danger, but I didn't know why. And I stood up and I said, Hey, you know, look at my, my room. You know, I, I spent the day cleaning it. Do you, you know, do you like what I've done? And he completely ignored me as he turned around, shut and locked my door. And it was at that moment I realized that something really bad was going to happen to me. And I, I had already tried, started trying to get to the opposite side of my room so that I could get across my bed when he came towards me. So that I could hopefully get to the door and get out of the room. But he was far too quick. And it's like he knew what I was already going to do. And he grabbed me by my hair. For some reason, everybody always grabbed me by my hair. But he grabbed me by my hair. He punched me in the face. Punched me in the stomach. He threw me onto the bed, and he attacked me, and I kept screaming no, and I kept trying to punch him and claw at him and thrash my way out from underneath him, and I was just screaming and screaming and screaming. He punched me, he slapped me in the face so hard that I saw stars and felt like I was going to pass out. And he just kept punching me in the stomach. And also just now remembering, uh, not long before this, I had just gotten out of the hospital because I had had a peptic ulcer. Um, I, I developed an ulcer uh, between 9 and 10 years old because of all of the abuse that I was going through. And um, while I, I wasn't able to tell my doctors, you know, what was going on at home and why a child of my age would have a an ulcer that was typically brought on by stress that they would see in older adults that worked highly stressful jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But I couldn't tell them why I had this ulcer because I couldn't tell them that I was being abused because I was too afraid. And anyway, so he's punching me in the stomach where my ulcer is. And it was just so horribly awful. And this, the, the sickest part of all of this isn't the fact that I'm being raped at 10 years old, while that is pretty disturbing and sick. But the sickest part is my mother was in the room right next to me. And she was so passed out drunk that she could not hear her daughter screaming and begging for help.
as she was being viciously, violently, and sexually attacked. And, um, I remember at some point my brother opened my bedroom door, although how, I don't know, because it was locked from the inside. So I'm thinking he must have had a hanger or something to stick through the little the little knob thingy that can unlock it or I mean, I don't really know but somehow somehow my brother opened my door and the neighbor jumped off of me and um ended up getting dressed and leaving and my brother just stood there looking at me confused totally confused as I'm bleeding and crying and half naked and writhing in pain and he doesn't say anything to me he just turns around and closes the door and I just remember laying there sobbing because I don't I didn't understand why this happened why why did he do this? Why Why did my mother not help me? Why You know, why didn't somebody help me? And I also thought that now I'm going to be pregnant, you know, and I'm going to have I'm going to have to deal with all that on top of everything else because you know, when you hit puberty young, <laughs> You get the birds and bees talk young. So, you know, I I had that, you know, talk when I was younger. and So, yeah. Anyway, the only reason I told my mother about it later that night was because I was scared to death that I was pregnant. And I didn't know the first thing to do about any of that or how pregnancy worked or, you know, that... You know, there would, there would be nine months to find out. Well, not literally nine months, but, you know, there'd be a few months to find out if I was before I had to say anything. But I didn't know how all of that worked. So I went to her strictly because I was afraid that I was pregnant and I didn't know what to do. And that's when she slapped me and laughed at me and called me a filthy, dirty whore and, and told me that I deserved it all when I let him on and, and that, uh, it was all my fault, and so, yeah, that's, that was that. Um, it wasn't long after that I tried to, I actually went through with my first suicide attempt. Um, I tried to set myself on fire, and, um, my mother smelt the melting material of the rayon nightgown I was wearing, um, the next day I was in a psychiatric hospital for children and I was there for a long time and they did a lot of tests on me and, um, my mother started telling them about all of these things that I was doing that I really wasn't doing at home, like, uh, I was having violent outbursts and I was doing bad, horrible things and 
I was hurting, hurting her on purpose, and I was violent towards people and probably animals and, you know, just all these things. She was just saying all this stuff about me because she was on this new kick all of a sudden to get diagnoses for me because I guess shortly before uh, or shortly after I was labeled yeah it would be after I was labeled uh, with the learning disabilities and the hyperactivity um, she filed with disability and started getting money disability money for me um, because of my learning disabilities and whatnot. So when I was in the psychiatric hospital, she got this bright idea that she was going to tell these people these horror stories of all of this stuff that her psychotic daughter was doing and all the things, the just, just horrible things that were all made up. And so I was being tested for a gamut of psychological uh, issues. And I was given so many diagnoses for so many different things. And I was put on so many different medications. And all of it, honest to God, all of it was trauma. It was all trauma, but they weren't being told that I was being abused at home and I wasn't telling them I was being abused at home because my mother had them believing so wholeheartedly that everything I said was a lie. Everything. Nothing truthful came out of my mouth. So anything that I told them would be a lie, it would be a story, would be a way for attention. So I knew... That telling them the truth, they wouldn't hear it anyway. So I didn't tell them that I was being abused. And I just let whatever they said happen. Because I there was no point in, in arguing. Because the psychiatrist I had... Um, let's see. I started seeing a psychiatrist shortly before I was 10... Um, because, uh, honestly, I don't remember. The, oh, the school, the school wanted me to see a psychiatrist because, uh, they wanted to rule out something as to why my schoolwork suffered and why, why, why I was, uh, such a bad student and I wouldn't sit in my seat and I wouldn't. I wouldn't do my work and I wouldn't focus on the teacher and I was too busy showing my underpants to the boys and and um, doing all these weird things and um, so they, they wanted to, to rule some things out and that was when she told my first psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever he was, that uh, anything that I would have to say would be a lie. So when I was telling him everything that had actually happened to me, 
and why I was acting out and why I was doing what I was doing. He um, told me that I needed to stop lying to him and tell him the truth. And I was so confused because I was telling him the truth and I wasn't lying to him. But he was convinced that I was because of what she had told him. And um, so by the time I went to my next psychiatrist, after I was released from the psychiatric hospital and my mom had told him everything that she had told all the others, that I like to tell stories and that my, my story of this horrific abuse that I like to tell people was all lies and, and completely made up and just to it was all done just to hurt her and um you know make her look bad so he would go back and he would tell her everything that I said and my stepfather he would tell them both everything that I had said everything about what they had done to me because I figured, well, I wasn't going to get believed anyway, so I might as well just talk about it because I needed to talk about it because, you know, this, this stuff was happening to me and I didn't know what to do about it. And I, So, as I'm telling him the truth, he thinks I'm telling him lies. So, he goes back and he tells my, my mom and stepfather, you know, this stuff, all the lies that I'm saying and then... I get home and I get beaten because I'm telling the truth and they know I'm telling the truth. And so I get beaten because I'm telling the truth and they don't want to get caught. And they're telling me to keep my mouth shut and don't say things about what's going on at home. And then the next time I go to therapy with them, I don't say anything at all. And for several sessions, I say nothing. I just sit there and stare and then he tells them that I'm not saying anything. I'm not talking about a thing. Not a thing. Then I get home and I get beaten because I'm wasting time and money not saying anything. And so, like, what am I supposed to do? I can't talk about the truth. Why do I want to lie? I mean, there's nothing to lie about. I'm going to say, my life is great. It's full of happiness and sunshine and and unicorn fart shooting rainbows. I mean, what, what am I supposed to do? Anyway, all of this developed my, my self-harming, uh, my self-harming, uh, I don't know, journey. There we go. I started, started cutting myself and still to this day, when I get overwhelmed, when life gets too much, when I feel too many emotions when whatever I still to this day at 43 years old cut myself burn myself uh not not like burn burn myself but you know like like you take a dull item and you you know you, know, you give yourself like a a friction burn kind of thing not I shouldn't say burn myself but um but yeah, so, you know, I, I haven't outgrown that and I don't think I will outgrow that because that is a, a self-help thing that I, I developed as a young child and for some reason 
it helps me uh, in the moment. I, I don't like doing it. I don't like the scars that I have left behind. And I don't like that it hurts my husband. And I don't like, you know, how I feel afterwards. But given the, the, the moment and the emotions and the release everything else I just I, I I can't think about all that stuff and I need that release and then after I have that release and then reality comes back then I feel like crap and sometimes it makes me want to do it again I've never had a relationship with my father that I wish to God that I had my father is a great guy and I love him so much and Oh, um, yeah, I love him so much, and I always wanted to be daddy's girl, daddy's little princess, you know, whatever. I, I just, I just want to matter to my dad, and I just don't think that I ever have, or I ever will, but, um, I knew I couldn't be with my mother anymore. I even told the judge that if he didn't let me go live with my dad, that, I would run away and no one would find me again or I would try to kill myself again and this time I would succeed and um, it would be his fault for not letting me live with a person who wasn't going to hurt me every day and thankfully I mean he wasn't going to uh, he wasn't going to take me away from my mom uh, because they didn't do that back then you know it was mother mother keeps children because that's just the way it is and you know they they weren't gonna let me go live with my dad and stop mom because well he was my dad and they just didn't break up children from their mother but so it took me literally telling him that he would be the reason that I would end up being dead if he let me if he made me go back to live with my mom uh, he decided to let me get to live with my father my best friend uh and the only friend that i had because children my age didn't like me because i was weird and i had goodwill clothes that didn't fit and i had a horrible chop hand chopped haircut from my mother's drunken rage one night she butchered my hair and so Kids my age didn't like me. School was a nightmare. I was bullied every day. Just bullied. And even my teachers bullied me. And so kids my age didn't like me. I had no friends my age. So my best friend, when I was 12 years old, was... Let's see, she was probably seven or eight years old. Um, and she was my best friend, my, my absolutely best friend. And it was because she didn't understand the abuse that was going on at my house. She didn't understand that she needed to be afraid of my stepfather or that my life wasn't normal like hers was. Mostly because I kept her away from my house especially if my stepfather was going to be there if he wasn't going to be home overnight then she'd spend the night at my house and and we'd have fun or 
you know, I'd spend the night at her house if he was going to be there, of course. And, I mean, we, we got along and we had fun with each other. And, and even though I was still playing Barbies past the age that was appropriate for me, um, it still, it felt fine because I liked being in the pretend world because... In my pretend world, nobody was hurting me, and life could be what I wanted it to be. And it was pretty sad that my best friend was a very little girl, but which, which led to a lot of problems with her mother because she was wondering if I had some sick intention with her daughter because, you know, I'm, I'm the age I am, and she's the age she is. And she was actually four when we started becoming friends and I think I was nine or 10. I, I don't remember exactly, but she was going on five when we, we met through a mutual friend who was more closer to my age, but not my age. And anyway, it's a long story. So, you know, it, I could see why her mother would be like, why are you interested in my four and a half, five year old when you are, nine ten whatever age you are and I totally could understand why she thought that I had some sick intention but I didn't and nothing ever like that ever happened and it was simply she was a friend I needed a friend and we played Barbies and we played babies which was you know we both had our own dolls and it was like a version of house, but we didn't have daddies or husbands. It was just the two of us had our own baby dolls. So it was like our version of house. You live your life in the fight or flight is a normalcy in your life when you're, when you're brought up in that so that when that is gone, you literally spend every day waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because you're just, you're living on eggshells and you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting because you live your life in the fight or flight uh, continuum. You know, you're ready to act at any second because your life depends on it. And when that all of a sudden stops, you don't know what to do with yourself. You just, you literally don't. So you just literally sit there on eggshells waiting for the next shoe to drop the the next the next thing you have to react to and when that doesn't come it's very uncomfortable and it's it it produces anxiety in a different way so getting involved with this guy who at first treated me very nice but i think i knew deep down he was going to be trouble and since i knew or i felt i deserved the trouble and I deserved to be treated like crap um when he started treating me like crap it felt normal to me and finally I don't have to wait for the other shoe to drop because things are happening now not that I wanted them because I didn't not that I liked it because I didn't but it was normal to me it felt finally like okay I'm being treated the way I'm supposed to be being treated. This is what's supposed to be happening to me. Through that friend, I ended up meeting, not meeting, I ended up getting involved with my now husband, 
who we had been friends with this whole time, but we just didn't know that we would be more than friends. And it was because of my now husband. Uh, we were I he helped patch things up with my father and stepmother, which allowed me to be able to move back home in time to graduate high school. And then um, my husband and I, um, we have had our ups and downs. Uh, we have a great marriage, but we have a not so great life. And again, that's nothing to do with my abuse and it's nothing to do with us. It's factors in our lives and, and things like that. But um, we've had, we have a very great, solid marriage and is one of the biggest things that I am proud of. And it didn't start out this way. Um, we started out with breaking up, going out, breaking up, going up because he treated me so good. In the beginning, and still now, but in the beginning, when I broke up with my ex, who was raping me and treating me like crap, and then I started going out with my, my, my best friend, who treated me like a queen, and never forced anything that I didn't want, never, never hurt me in any way, always tried to build me up. Always tried to make me see my worth. Always, he, he was and is literally my saving grace. Finally, at some point, through all the breakups and going out and breakup and going out, and we even got engaged, and then the day before our marriage or our wedding, I called off the whole thing because I couldn't, I just couldn't be with a guy that was going to treat me so wonderfully because I didn't deserve it. And when he didn't leave me after that, and he wasn't mad at me after that, my family was mad at me. Everybody hated me for a while there because of all the money that I wasted and all the problems that I caused. Um, because I called off the wedding literally the day before when everybody had already flown into town and, and all that fun stuff. Um, he stuck by my side. And a year later, we actually ended up officially getting married and we've been married ever since uh 21 years now and we've been together 24 years i think all together i believe that i'm healing through telling my story to other survivors and other victims and people that don't know anything about abuse um and helping them to understand what abuse is and as for the survivors and the victims, helping them to know they're not alone, um, having somebody they can relate with, uh, having somebody they can ask questions to or just talk to or a shoulder to cry on. I'm all that. I'm, I'm there for all of it. I'm, I want to be as helpful as I can be. I want to be, I want to be a very strong advocate. Thank you so much for inviting us into your home tonight. We hope that you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next week right here on At Home with Debbie Rule at 6 o'clock on KNEL 95.3 FM and KNELradio.com. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us today for At Home with Debbie Rule. You can be at home with Debbie Rule every Sunday on KNEL 95.3 FM and KNELradio.com. Follow At Home with Debbie Rule on Facebook and podcast on iTunes.
See you next week at home with Debbie Rule for more insights on home, family, and relationships. Thank you.